gather here because we need you. We need to see you as our rock and our redeemer. You are our rock and our redeemer. Jesus, you are the greatest treasure of our souls. Lord, there is no one like you. Thank you, Jesus, that true delight is found in you alone, that that your grace is a well too deep to fathom, that your love does exceed heaven's reach. Lord, so often it's hard for us to remember that. So often we fail to see that. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself anew to us today, that you would become bigger in our eyes, that we would see that what we need is, is not you to solve all of our problems. We need you who has solved our greatest problem already. Lord, we need the salvation that you alone bring. We need the satisfaction that you alone bring. We need the living water that you alone offer. And God, I pray that we would look to you. Jesus, we would look to you this morning. Pray that you would give us fresh hope and faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here today with us. We are grateful that you're here today. I'm going to move this around a little bit. Let me scooch around here. Um, can everybody hear okay today? Can you hear all right? Um, we're, we're experimenting with the sound a little bit. Um, we got speakers here. We got speakers in the back. Um, I had outlines for today because we realized that since we don't have uh, overheads outside, it can be difficult to, to take notes. Um, the problem is, is that I left them in a binder sitting on the table back there so that nobody knew that we had them. So if you would like notes... Um, you can either raise your hand if you would prefer someone to give them to you. If you'd like them not to be given to you and you want, you can get them in the very back as well. Um, we've got some notes for you. Um, we are studying in this true life account, this narrative. I'm going to move around a little bit more here. This narrative about Jesus Christ. And, and we're studying it because we need to see Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but every week I get inundated with news. Every, every week I get inundated with perspectives and opinions and preferences and all these things, and it can crowd out who Jesus is. It can crowd out my vision of him. And, and what we need most in this time is not just to believe in him once, to be constantly seeing him, constantly seeing Jesus for who he is, because that is who our faith is in. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in him personally, and we need to see his person in order to have faith. So we have been going through the book of John, and the passage before this one today, um, we saw that Jesus, he came to this town in Samaria, and he met this woman at the well, and instead of putting her off because she was disregarded by society, instead of seeing her as unclean, he welcomed her into relationship with him, and that's what Jesus does. He welcomes us into relationship with himself, and he offers living water, and we saw that right before that. And the, the Samaritans were so affected by this woman's testimony that the whole town that that was nearby came out to see him, and, and many believed. And then they asked him, they said, would you stay with us for two days? And that's where we find ourselves today. Turn your Bibles to John 4, verse 43 to 54, and we're going to see more about Jesus today. This is God's holy, inspired word for us today. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, go, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Jesus, let us learn from this passage. Let's learn, let us learn from this man who was desperate to see his son healed. God, may we learn what we are most desperate for. God, may we see what we need to believe about you. Not just for what you can do for us, but for who you are and what you've already done for us. And I pray that you would Make this word alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to mess around. I've got the luxury of a fan. If you're jealous, I'm sorry. Um, uh, that, that's the privilege of getting to preach. So um, this morning, as the sun shines down, and hopefully you're not too much in the sun, but and you hear the loud cicadas in the background, and they are worshiping God, right? Sometimes it doesn't always seem like worship, but the cicadas are worshiping God today. So as they are worshiping God, I want you to put yourself in this nobleman's story. I want you to put, him, put yourself in his sandals, if you were. You know, it, it, Think about it. This man, he, he's a nobleman. He's come from Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is about 25 miles away from Canaan. It's important to see that. The people in John's original hearers would have, would have known that that was a distance away, that this man would have had to walk or somehow get from Capernaum to, to, to Cana. And he's an official, or most likely, well, how most translations put it, a nobleman. And, and a nobleman, he would have been a nobleman and inherited Antipas's court because he was a tetrarch. He was based in, based in northern Galilee. So this, this guy had some degree of influence. He had some degree of standing. He, he was a man with some power, with, with some probably land. He probably had money. He probably was well-to-do. We know that he had servants, and so he had a large household. He had a lot of things. He was comfortable, but his son was sick. I don't know if you've ever had a family member who was sick and about to die, but this man had a family member, a son, who was sick and about to die. And, and you kind of have to put yourself in his shoes and say, okay, well, what would it have been like if, if I had a family member who was sick and about to die? Maybe you have children, and imagine if your child was sick and on the verge of death. What would you do? What would you be willing to do to make sure that he was well? What, what ends would you go to? Who would you see? What would you pursue? Now, maybe you don't have children, maybe you're not even married, but maybe you have a loved one. Think about whoever that is most close to you. If that person most close to you was about to die, what would you do? What would you think was your greatest need in that moment? What would you see as what you needed most? Well, this, this man, what he saw his, his greatest need in that moment was for his son to be healed because he was about to die. I, I can relate 
I've got six kids, and if one of them was on the verge of death, I would go pretty much anywhere and do pretty much anything legally that I could to make sure that they got better again. And that's the state of desperation that this man is in. He's desperate, and he comes to Jesus, and you can imagine the desperation that he felt in this situation. He'd heard about this man named Jesus. He, he had heard that he had done miracles. He, he might have himself gone down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast that it mentions earlier in the previous chapter in John. It says actually that most of the people in Galilee had gone down to the feast, the Passover feast. And they had seen that after Jesus had cleansed the temple, um, he, he did many miracles. Now John doesn't tell us what those were, but it says that many believed because of the signs that Jesus did. And so all these people have come back to Galilee, and likely this man was in that group, and they come back to Galilee. They had heard about all that Jesus could do, that he'd done signs and wonders, and they believed that he was a miracle worker. And so this man, he believed that Jesus could do something for him. If he could heal other people, and maybe he'd heard about as well when Jesus had come into Cana, and he had, he had changed this waters of purification into wine. He, he, had, he, had, he had spared this this couple, this groom, from the embarrassment, the shame of not being able to provide for his guests. And if Jesus would do that, if he could heal other people, if he could do miracles, then maybe Jesus could heal his son. You know, I think we would think the same thing, right? And so this man, he sets out on this about a 25-mile walk. He goes by himself. Now, he's a nobleman. He didn't have to do that. He could have sent servants. He could have sent somebody else, but he didn't. He went himself. It was important to him, and he had to get Jesus to heal his son. He's thinking, what... What's important to me? What am I desperate for? What, what do I think I need from Jesus? Well, he didn't send somebody. He goes to Jesus. And it's interesting because he believes something about Jesus, but clearly he does not yet believe in Jesus and who Jesus is. Because we see at the end of this passage that he believes. And you think, well, wait a minute. Didn't he already believe? Well, he believed that Jesus was a miracle worker, but he didn't believe what he needed to believe. The man needed Jesus to heal his son, but he didn't know that he needed something greater and more lasting than that. Sometimes, I think that's us, we, we are aware of our present needs, of our temporal needs, of our earthly situation, and we can be aware that, that we need something, and we think we need that something more than we need Jesus. And that was where this man was. The question for us today is, how about you? What, what are you aware of that you need? What do you think you need most? Are you aware of what you really need or want from Jesus? What this man needed most wasn't for his son to be healed, but he didn't know that yet. And Jesus was merciful to him. But, but the main idea that I think John wants to get across to us is that, that we need to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is what we need most. That's, that's the main idea that, that John is trying to get across. He wants us to see what true belief is, and he wants to see that to believe, to truly believe in Jesus, is what we need most, even more than healing, or even more than some desperate need that we're aware of. This guy was desperate, and he was looking at Jesus to heal his son. And he at least had some belief that Jesus could do a miracle, and so he sets out, he goes. And, and you can see in this story that he, he at least believed that Jesus had to come back with him, because he asked Jesus a couple times, says, Jesus, come down with me. Now, now Cana, this is, you know, you look at historically accurate stories, and this was a colloquialism, because Cana was below geographically below Capernaum, but it was up on a hill, and Capernaum was down near a lake. And so he says, come down. And so it's just one of the small little details that shows you the historicity of the account. And, and so John 
is show, showing this man saying, come down to Capernaum, come down with me, because if you come with me, you can be healed, because Jesus, you need to be here. I need to see you. My son needs to see you. He needs to, to have your touch. He needs you to touch him in order for him to be healed. He didn't know yet that Jesus is not limited. He's not limited by distance. He's not limited by being there in person. He's not limited in in any way, and he presumed that Jesus had to come with him. But Jesus responds to him. Look down your Bibles in, in verse 48. In verse 48, Jesus responds to him. It's, it's almost shocking, right? Because you hear you have this guy, and Jesus has to know he's desperate. He understands. He's compassionate. He, he understands the heart of man. He understands this guy is a parent who has a sick child. And Jesus is not being unkind, but he does correct him. He does say something that seems pretty brusque to us, at least. Look down your Bibles in verse 48. He says, Jesus said to him, so, so get it. He's asking, would you come down and heal my son? He's sick. He's about to die. And Jesus' response is not, sure, I'll come down. But he corrects him. Now, only Jesus can do this, by the way. That's not our calling to correct somebody in need. But see, he corrects him. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, now, why did he do that? You have to wonder, Jesus, what are you up to here? Why, why are you doing this? This guy, he's clearly desperate. He clearly wants his, his son to be healed. So, so why are you correcting him and saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe? Because Jesus knew that what the man needed was something more than just healing for his son. Because belief that Jesus can do things for us, it's just not enough. This man believed that Jesus was a miracle worker. He was like a magician who could do something for him, who could get his temporal needs satisfied, even to get important things like healing done. But he didn't see that Jesus really came to do far more. And and the first point, really, that I think John's trying to get us to see from this is that belief in Jesus, that Jesus can do things for us, is not enough. Belief that Jesus can do things for us is not enough. That's not the kind of belief that Jesus is after. He's after the belief in him for who he is, not just in his ability to meet our temporal needs. Now, that's challenging for us because, I don't know about you, when I pray, oftentimes my prayers are, Jesus, get me out of this situation or deliver me from this problem or make me well again. About, a, about five weeks ago, don't worry, about five weeks ago I had COVID. And, and believe me, I was praying, Jesus, heal me. I, I wanted him to heal me. And there was a point where I felt desperate and I, I was concerned uh, at the time. I wasn't sure I was pulling through. And, and, and my prayer was that Jesus would heal me. But it's times like that when we can forget that Jesus has already done what's most important. Now, the, the really wonderful thing is that in the midst of being between bed and my chair and bed and my chair for a few weeks was that he was merciful and he, he was kind to me and showed me that it didn't matter if I lived or died. No matter what happened to me, he had already done what was most important. He had already secured my permanent place with him. That, that my sickness had nothing to do with his pleasure with me. It had nothing to do with his acceptance of me. He already had accepted me. He's already forgiven me. He'd already made me new. And so for a couple of days, people were saying, did you get a lot of reading done? I'm like, man, I was too far out of it. But for a couple of days, I was able to listen to some worship songs. And for just like a day or two, all I did was just worship. And what I was worshiping was that Jesus, no matter what, I've got you. And this man needed to see that. He didn't yet see that. That's why Jesus 
gently rebukes him. Now, he's not being unkind here. He's actually doing the kindest thing because sometimes the kindest thing we need to see is that we don't need Jesus to solve our temporal problems. We need him to solve our biggest eternal problem. That's what we need most because belief that Jesus can do things for us is not enough. You know, it says that Jesus goes to Galilee, and this might be a little confusing in the first verse or two. He goes to Galilee because he says a prophet is without honor in his hometown. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. They welcomed him in, didn't they? But the kind of welcome they give him is not truly honoring to Jesus. The welcome that they give him is a welcome as a miracle worker. They're not honoring him as the Messiah. They're not honoring him as God incarnate. They're not honoring him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They're welcoming him for what they can do, he can do for them. And so Jesus goes there, and he, he sees this around him. He sees that same attitude in this man, and he corrects him. And he says, you know, you people, you're looking for spectacular, sensational things to validate your belief. They sought Jesus on their own terms. When they didn't get their sign or their miracle, they lacked true faith in Jesus. And we see that in the Gospels, that when people didn't get Jesus to do things for them when he didn't appear to him as they wanted, when he didn't get them what they wanted, they, they turned away from him. The same can be said today of, of all who seek Jesus because of what he can do for a situation. You know, many people seek Jesus to give them their best life now. They seek Jesus for wealth or physical health. And when those things aren't given, they, they fail to believe in Jesus. But Jesus wants something far more for us. He doesn't want those those really surface-level beliefs. He wants a, a deeper belief that, that sees him as the deepest satisfaction, the deepest, the deepest need that we have. You know, more subtle, sometimes as Christians, we can waver when, when Jesus doesn't perform like us, for us like we want, when, when we're sick and he doesn't heal us. And sometimes we can think that, wait a minute, our, our belief in Jesus wavers now because he's not doing what we think he should. And Jesus kindly, gently addresses that. Maybe, maybe you don't have a job right now and, and you think that you need most of the job, and, that, and that's good, and he hears that he's compassionate. We'll see that actually Jesus is compassionate, and he meets those temporal needs as well. But he's after something deeper. He was driving home that point that trusting his signs and wonders is basis for relief. It's not enough. And in any case, though, that nobleman, he hears those words. Now imagine if you're this guy, and you just come to Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, my son is dying. Come heal him. And Jesus is saying, hey, unless you, unless you see signs and wonders you won't believe, I mean, you'd be a little put out, wouldn't you? You potentially would be a little offended. This nobleman, though, he's not put out. He doesn't say, Jesus, you know what? You're a peasant. How dare you talk to me that way? No, he, he says, I'm desperate. I don't care. I don't care. I'm desperate. Instead, he responds respectfully. Look down at verse 49, and he says, the official came to him and said, sir, come down before my child dies. He still doesn't get what he needs, but he's desperate. And he doesn't let his pride get in the way of coming to Jesus. And, and really, that's true for us. We need to set aside our pride and not be offended when Jesus corrects us and see, wait a minute, Jesus is actually, he has something more for us. He responds humbly, persisted, and asked Jesus to heal him. He lays aside his pride. He humbles himself. He persists in seeking Jesus. And he believed that Jesus was still limited, though. Just look what he says. He says, my son is sick. Come back. Come down to, to Compertium with me. And what he discovered, though, is that Jesus wasn't limited in any way. 
And in the midst of his, his limited belief, in the midst of his misplaced belief, in the, in, the, in the midst of his insufficient belief, Jesus still had compassion on him. And, and the wonderful thing to see there is that our belief doesn't have to be perfect. Jesus still has compassion on us. He's a compassionate God. He doesn't wait for this guy's faith to be perfected and mature. He responds to his immature, partial faith because he's after something else. He's after a true and deeper faith. And he has compassion on this man. He has compassion on us as well. Now look down at verse 50. He wants this man to believe something else. Look in verse 50. Jesus wants us to believe in his word. That's the second point if you're taking notes. Jesus wants us to believe in his word. Look in verse 50. It says, Jesus said to him, so what does he do? So this man says, hey, come down with me to Capernaum. Jesus still blows that part off. And he just talks to him. He says, he says, go. So he basically tells him, no. He denies the man's request. No, I'm not going down to Capernaum with you. Inherently. And then he says, go, your son will live. He doesn't perform the way Jesus, the man thinks he should. But he does tell him what he needs. And what he needs is to believe the words of Jesus. So Jesus says, go, your son will live. And, and you can imagine for a moment that guy probably stood there. And he had to decide, what was he going to do? And then he realized that the one speaking to him had authority. And in that moment, he chose to believe in Jesus. And says, the man, look in verse 50, the man believed the word. This is when the man probably became a Christian. He, he transitioned from believing what Jesus could do for him, and he believed the word of Jesus. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus responds to this man's insufficient partial faith with compassion he gives the man what he needed most, which was his word. The guy believes in his word, and he goes away, and he believes truly. That moment, he must have been confronted with that choice. Would, would he believe and trust Jesus and his authority? Would, would he obey Jesus in response? And this was a test of the man's faith. And oftentimes, we have that ourselves, don't we? We, we have that question, will we believe and trust in Jesus' authority when he doesn't respond the way we think he should? Will we obey Jesus in response? Because that's what true faith is seen in believing in Jesus and then taking action in response. Faith without works, without response to him, it's dead. But this man's faith is coupled with works. He, he believes in Jesus, then he goes and trusts in him and obeys, and he follows Jesus' word. So he takes this big leap of faith, and he sets off on this walk, and he's heading back, and I can only imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, okay, I believe him, but what am I going to find when I get back? And on the way back, I love this account. He sets off on this long way back home, and he meets his servants. Look down at verse 51. It says, as he was going down, I won't compete with the motorcycles. Um, as, he, as he was going down, it says, look at this verse 51. His servants met him. And told him this wonderful news. They told him his son was recovering. In that moment, this man discovered that his faith in Jesus was real. That not only was Jesus compassionate, Jesus was powerful. Now, for us today, we're like, well, of course Jesus could heal him. But, but think about that. Jesus had never met this guy before. He'd never met this man's son. He didn't know on, from earthly means where this man's son lived. He didn't know what was physically wrong with him on an, on an earthly level. 
And yet Jesus demonstrated that he really knew exactly everything about this man. He demonstrated he knew where this son lived. He, he demonstrated he knew exactly what the condition was. He, knew, he, he demonstrated that he knew and was able to heal this boy. And he did it with just a word. Now, the, the most important thing that happens in this account is, is not that this boy was healed. And, and this man, he got it. Because the fact that the boy was healed, it actually revealed something about who Jesus is. That Jesus, in fact, he's the creator. He is powerful. He is compassionate. He is able to do exactly what he says. His word can be trusted. When he speaks, his word is done. So on the way back home, his servants set out to meet him. They told him the good news. And he asked them, look in verse 52. He says, when did this happen? When did he get better? And they said, yesterday, about the seventh hour. And the guy says, oh, my goodness. That's exactly when Jesus said, go. Your son will be healed. He knew right then that Jesus was something more than just a miracle worker. He had authority that no one else had. And, and he began to believe in Jesus because he, he began to see that Jesus is who he needed most. See, after his son was healed, look at what happens. Look in verse 53. It says, Then the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. Now, what did he believe? He didn't just believe that Jesus was a healer. He believed that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. He and his household believed. Because of the signs, they actually got what they needed most. They believed in him, in Jesus, because he is what we need most. And, and that's the, the final point for us today is that Jesus wants us to believe in him. Jesus corrected him earlier because he wanted this man to believe in who Jesus is because Jesus is what we need most. Now, he doesn't always, he's compassionate, he's powerful. He doesn't always meet our temporal needs. He did this for this man and this time to show him that what he needed most was Jesus. Because that's the most compassionate response this man needed. Jesus didn't need to be there. He could heal remotely. He demonstrated his power and authority over creation. That's, that's what we're supposed to see. We're also supposed to see that, that the most important thing in the account is that this man believed. And his whole household believed. And then John ends his account with that because... That was the whole idea of the story. The whole, the whole purpose, the whole point of this account wasn't that the son was healed. It was that the man believed and his whole household believed. And that's what we need the most. Their, their faith resulted in being given the gift of eternal life. And, and that's true for all who believe the words of Jesus today. It's not enough for us to believe that Jesus is a miracle worker. We need to believe in his words. We need to believe that he can do what he said. We need to believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the one who's the Savior of the world, that, that he came to forgive us of all of our sins by bearing our sins on the cross, by taking our place, by taking the wrath of God, and that, that we need him the most to transform us in our everyday moments. You know, let me ask you this. If you have a child who's sick and about to die, is that really your greatest need? What if, what if Jesus just healed your child but didn't confront you in your unbelief and didn't actually turn you to believe in him? What if he just healed your sick child? Would that, would that be what you really needed? What if he just gave you the job that you wanted or gave you the money you think you need or the house you desire or the car you want? 
What if Jesus met all your temporal needs, but he didn't confront you in your misplaced faith? If he didn't confront you where you were, and he left you just saying, hey, sure, I'll heal you, I'll give you all of these things. But you lose your soul in the meanwhile. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't do that. He didn't leave this man in his impartial faith, and he doesn't do that for us either. And he doesn't want us to live there. He doesn't want us to live as if all these temporal needs are what we need most. And you know what? Every day I forget that. Because every day I wake up most aware of what? My own needs. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm, uh, you know, I have these things I have to get done. And, and he, he gives us an account like this to remind us, no, those things aren't unimportant, but it's not the most important. You know, what if we're healthy in every way and we live to be a thousand years old, but we don't have Jesus? What if we have a great family? What if you have the ideal family and your kids all obey and they grow up and they all have great kids and you all get together and you have these wonderful times and you go on vacation and everything's peaceful and you never argue? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, that, I mean I, I'm not against that at all. I'm kind of hoping for that myself. But what if we had those things and we didn't have Jesus if he did not transform our lives? If Jesus only was a miracle worker, that would not be enough. If we only believed in him as a miracle worker, that's not sufficient. So what if Jesus only healed the man's son? Now, it's good that he healed the man's son because he demonstrates his character, his nature, that he's loving, he's merciful, he's compassionate, and we can hope in him, and we can still pray and, and, and trust that he knows what's best for us, and he'll heal, um, not all the time, but he'll heal when it is best, when he will carry out what is best for us. We can trust in him. But think about this. What if Jesus changed the government today, but you didn't believe in him? Would that, would that be enough? You know, they had the Roman government in the, those days, by the way. <laughs> they had Harold Antipas. He was the tetrarch in that area. They had Roman Empire. And nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus ever talk about replacing the government and putting in the best leaders He's not concerned because it's not what they needed most. He doesn't talk to this noble man about being a tetrarch and say, you know, you're serving Herod Antipas. And by the way, he's a pretty corrupt dude. You should stop. No, he doesn't do that. He transforms the man's life so that where the man is can be transformed. And what he does is transformed by believing in Jesus. What if Jesus meets our every earth, earthly need, but not our eternal one? Mere belief in Jesus that he can do things for us is not enough. Jesus isn't looking for mere belief he can work miracles for us. He wants us to trust in him for who he is. The question today that we need to ask ourselves is, do we see Jesus for who he is? Do we trust his word? Do we trust what he says is true? Because we can. And that's what this account shows us as well. We can trust in his word, no matter what his word is, even when it seems implausible to us. Do we honor him and welcome him for what he does, or do we welcome him and honor him as the Messiah, as our Savior, our King? We need to believe in Jesus each and every day. We need a counsel like this to remind us that Jesus, he's already done what's most important. He's already reconciled us to God. He's merciful, and in the midst of our impartial faith, he, he 
honors even our weak faith. But he does challenge us to take him at his word. He wants us to trust in him. He's not limited. Will we welcome Jesus for who he is? Will we honor him each and every day? He's the savior of the world. John's been trying to get us to see that. He's, he's taken away all of our sins. He's the lamb of God who came to remove all of our sins. He gives us eternal life. He alone satisfies. That's what he was telling us in the story of the Samaritan woman that she was looking for satisfaction in all these things and relationships. And Jesus says, I'm holding out something that's deeper. I give you myself and I will satisfy you like water never will. I'm living water. He alone satisfied and he's come to town. And it's not about what he can do for us. It's about what he's already done. He's what we need. Are we desperate for him? Are you desperate for him? Are you seeking him for the temporal things he can do? Are you seeking him to make you new? You know, the, the thing I need most is for Jesus to transform my thinking. And, and, and here's the wonderful thing. He promises to do that because he's made us new in him. I need to remember that in him I'm a new creation, that he has the power over hell and over death. He has power over sin. He's already conquered sin. I need to see him every day for who he is, that he's already conquered all these sins I struggle with. I need to see that, that he satisfies me, and I don't need to seek after all these other things. I need to seek first his kingdom, and all these other things will be given to me. The problem is not in wanting him to do things for us. It's in wanting him to do too little. We don't believe enough. And sometimes we want to be God and we dictate how he will do things for us. And we reject him when he doesn't do things our way. Problem is, we seek him to further our agenda, not because we fundamentally need him for everything. Let's not welcome him on our own terms. Welcome him as God into every area of your life. Truly honor him, even if you don't see the signs and wonders. We need him to transform us. He is the one who redeems us. He's the one who makes us new. He's the one who forgives us, who cleanses us, who changes us. He is the one that we need every day to breathe. And thankfully, he gives himself to us. Do we believe in him for who he is? Because to believe in Jesus is what we need most. Amen? Why don't we go ahead and pray for the band will go ahead and come up. And Philip, if we could actually start with that, Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer song. And if you want, if we have time, we can go into behold him afterwards too. Let's start with that, because I think we need to we need to confess that he, he alone is our rock and our redeemer. We need to confess where we've been wavering. We need to confess that that he alone is what we need. And then put our faith in him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this account that corrects our insufficient belief. Lord, thank you for this account that puts our belief in you and grounds it firmly in your word that shows us your power, your ability, and that reveals our deepest need. May we turn to you in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.